And I made a note here. I said this, it's hard to see others when we're busy looking at ourselves. Have you ever noticed that? When I'm so busy looking at John, it's hard to see you in your pain. When I'm looking at me and thinking about me and and me, and then here we go again, the me monster, right? The me planet, the me universe. Here I am, just hunkered down, just revolving around me, me, me. I don't see you. And the enemy knows this. That's why the Bible talks so much about the selfless life. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you, and what a great reminder that we just sang. The reality, God, is that all of our lives, you have been faithful. It's more than a slogan on a t-shirt or a coffee mug. You are good, just who you are. It's part of your character, your attributes. And so God, as we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we press into you right now and ask that, King Jesus, get exalted. The king. There's only one king. His name's Jesus. And so here in this place today, would you again have your way? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You're the potter and we're the clay, not the other way around. And so would you speak in a mighty way today? Would you stir in such a way that Our hearts are are ripped wide open and that we just bathe in your goodness today. No matter the challenges, no matter the what-ifs on the horizon, that we just immerse ourselves in your goodness for your glory. And so as we open the word now, God, would you speak? Move me out of the way. I pray that we just hear from you and you alone. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated and take that Bible and turn to James, James chapter 2. James 2, looking at verses 8 through 11 today. And we're looking at the second part of our mini-series here in the book of James of asking a question of do I, do you, ask yourself, do I, do you show partiality? Again, partiality is favoritism, discrimination. You know, do we do this? Is there truth in my life and your life where there's instances where we live in this? And perhaps it's one of those respectable sins. You know, we have a list, don't we, in our own minds and hearts, if we're honest, of what we call respectable sins. They're rationalized. We justify them. We say, hey, this isn't that bad. I'm, I'm not doing what this person's doing. And we begin to rationalize. And what happens is, whether it's partiality or bitterness or discontentment, joylessness, whatever it might be, unforgiveness, that it seeps in covertly. It's that carbon monoxide of sin, as we talked about, that we don't smell it, we don't hear it, 
You know, the enemy doesn't ring our doorbell and say, here I am with some bitterness. Let me dump it in your lap. No, he very, very strategically in my life and yours gets in there and plants those seeds. Perhaps partiality is one in your life as well, favoritism. So we're going to see here in part two, James chapter two, eight through 11, of what James says about this subject even more. And so here's what he writes by the power of the Holy Spirit in James 2, verse 8. He says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Now look at verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. Don't miss that. Pretty self-explanatory. And don't miss this are convicted by the law. Notice where the conviction comes from, as transgressors. Now, verse 10 and 11 unpack an illustration and really drive home a key point here. Look at verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. One point, all of it. Last verse, verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now, look in your Bible there for a moment. I won't read it all, but just look in James 2, 1 through 7. And remember that out of the gate there in verse 1. Just look at verse 1 for a moment. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, hang on to this, no pun intended. Hold on to the faith, hang on to this. When James is speaking here, don't miss this, by the inspiration and illumination of the Holy Spirit, this holding on to the faith, again, as we often say, is not filler. There's a reason here that he says, hold on to the faith. We are in troubling days. I don't have to tell you this. You're not living under rocks. You get what's going on out there. We have to be people that are holding on to our faith. Remember, the enemy is so crafty that he's going to try to pull me away. He's going to try to pull you away, plant seeds of doubt and worry and fret and all that's going on in our world today. And he's going to try to lure us away from the faith. We got to hold on to this. Not for salvation, but from a great life of sanctification. Like, I can be saved and still have a life of struggle regarding sanctification, ongoing change towards Christ's likeness, glorification. No, we got to be intentional is the point here. You just don't show up in your Christian walk and end up like Christ and there's not any effort. We're already saved, check. Now there's a process in place that me, I'm talking to me, I have to get up, I got to be in the Word, I got to be in prayer. I have to walk the walk. Matter of fact, this past week was an interesting week for me because the Lord revealed very clearly to me areas of my life of great weakness. Uh, I began to go through after I was having some conversations, and don't you love a brother or a sister who speak truth in your life? I mean, you don't love it at the moment, do you? But you love it, though, don't you? Because once you look back on it, And once the sting begins to wear off, you go, 
Wow, that was love. That was love. To say the hard things. And, and I had to have some hard things said to me. Because the bottom line is when I look at James chapter 1 and I see the count it all joy, there's many days, just to be truthful, I'm not joyful. Days I'm discouraged. There's been days I'm depressed. There's days of complaining like the sky's falling every other minute. That's certainly not the message I preach. And so the Lord began to really work on me this week. Because when we get honest and we get open, church, that's when the growth really happens in our lives. We don't have to walk in here. Let me just lay this out there. We don't have to walk in here, you know, we're all dressed up or whatever, putting on our Christian mask, no pun intended. We rest in Christ. And when we begin to rest in Him, He will do the work in us. If we're so worried about putting on this front, that I got to be this, I got to be this, I got to be this, we will end up not being this. But when we're honest and open and real, just saying, hey, you know, I'm struggling. I'm going through a hard time. Will you pray for me? I guarantee you, I guarantee you, when one person says, I'm struggling, I'm going through a hard time, will you pray for me? There's probably 50 other people in the room going, me too. But the trap is we get in these silos, and I've been in one. Where hey, I got it all together. No, I don't. I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. But my God is able, amen. And James is coming out of this gate saying, look, the whole premise of James is real simple. It's what I just said. Faith without works is dead. Works not for salvation, but from salvation. And there will be true, authentic life being lived through that. And James says right here, I love this, in that first verse he says of James 2, my brothers show no partiality, you hold the faith. Hold it. Like you may be today, you may be at the end of your rope. Tie a knot at the end and hold on for dear life. I mean, hang on to that rope. Hang on to that rope of faith saying, Lord, I'm going to hang on to this. This is the air I breathe. My faith is everything I have to me. It's so precious to me. If you don't have your faith, what do you have? I mean, think about that. Have you ever considered that? If you gain the whole world, but lose your soul. What will it profit a man or woman? But what if you have your faith and lose the whole world? You have everything. You got to hold on to it. And there's those three words there, the four words rather, the Lord of glory. Remember the Shekinah glory we talked about? Old Testament Shekinah glory. The Lord came down, His manifest presence in the New Testament. Jesus Christ came down, didn't He? And James sets this up in verse 1, and then he drills down for six more verses and says, hey, if a poor man comes into your church house and a rich man does, what do you do? What do you do? And he lays out how it should look of no favoritism, no discrimination, no partiality. So then he rolls into verse 8 today, and he says this, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Think about that. Let me read it again to make sure it's sinking in. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, which says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. Now remember who he's talking to here. So 
Christian Jews of the dispersion. So he's coming at it from, from their angle and he's pulling from the Old Testament, Leviticus 19.18, and he's saying, look, here's what it says. You've got to love your neighbors yourself because he's already addressed in verses 1 through 7, we're not to discriminate, not to show partiality, especially in his context of that day. And it had to have been going on, by the way, right? Wouldn't that have been kind of silly if all of a sudden he goes, hey, let's talk about Let's talk about that a rich man comes in and a poor man comes in and you look at the poor man and you go, hey, man, you're poor. And okay, uh, hey, how about you go sit way over there in the corner? Now I got a better idea. I want you to sit at my feet. I'm going to show you how lowly you are. Rich man comes in. Oh, rich man. I might know that guy. Boy, he's a big shot around town. I bet, uh, I bet I could get cut in on a business deal if I saddle up next to that guy. So let me just kind of get over close to this guy. Hey, you over here, rich man, come here. Hey, I got a seat right here for you. Nice seat. Boy, velour pews, beautiful, aren't they? Nice air-conditioned seats for you, brother. It's all about the motive, right? That's what he's getting at. It's all about our motive. Hey, I'm judging on the outside. You're poor, you're rich. Hey, what can you do for me? And remember we talked about that, true religion, what true religion is, caring for the orphans and widows, caring for those who do nothing for us. That's a beautiful sign of my walk and your walk with Christ when we love people and go do things for people that can do absolutely nothing for us in return, nothing. Like they got nothing to offer. And we still minister to them. We still care for them. We serve them. We love them. He says, look, if you're going to fulfill this royal law, remember royal law, it's the law, the law of the Lord, the law, King Jesus, the ruler, it's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. First and second, in that order, it's royal. There's royalty there. There's, by the way, when you think of royalty, what do you do when you're in the presence of royalty? What do you do? What do you do in royalty? Well, you just saunter in, don't you? You just saunter in. You slap in, right? You just slap in, say, what's up? How you doing? Good to see you, man. Looking good in that robe today. That's what you do, right? Royalty. Now, what do you do? Man, you come in in submission, don't you? You bow down. Man, you are like, okay, you're royalty. I'm not. I get it how this is working. When he says royal law, I mean, there's more to just that it's, hey, it's the law. Man, we are to submit to this. It's royal. King Jesus and all his glory and all his praise and all his fame. If we're going to fulfill it, obey it, complete it. Here's what happens, and I love this. He said this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's supreme. I don't know if you guys have thought of this before, but have you ever considered the impact of your testimony to those around you when you love people not because of them, but because of Christ in you who's given you an agape love that says, even though you've harmed me, you've hurt me, you've insulted me, I'm still going to love you with a Christ-like love. And I'm going to do it to this extreme. I'm going to love you as much as I love myself. Write down key number one. Write this down. Key number one. Here it is in your notes. A true Christ follower will seek to obey Scripture and love their neighbor with the same fervency that they love themselves. Let me say that again. Key number one, write it down. 
a true Christ follower, number one, will seek to obey Scripture. There will be a desire to obey Scripture and love their neighbor with the same fervency that they love themselves. Think about that. When we have agape love, and remember agape love is real simple. Agape love is the love that Christ showed to me and to you. It's what He shows to us ongoing, present tense, future past, the whole deal. Agape love is simply this, real easy to remember. Agape love loves not because of, it loves in spite of. So just make a note of that. So, so right now, you're probably thinking in your world, you're thinking of perhaps that person who has wounded you, who's hurt you. Maybe you're thinking of that person at work that drives you absolutely bonkers. Like, it's just insanity. You can't stand to be around them. It's those people that God puts in our lives to sharpen us, amen? May He puts them in there to prune us, to refine us. It's agape love. And that's the love that's talked about here you shall love your neighbor, not because of what they do for you, in spite of what they do for you. By the way, when he says neighbor, he's not talking about the people just in your neighborhood. It's anyone around us. That's our neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Anyone around us. And we're going to love them with the same fervency that we love ourselves. Now, I know some people say, well, I don't love myself. I get what you're saying. But understand the meaning behind this. Remember, we got to go back to what Jesus says. Hey, if you really want to come after me, you got to deny you. So the reality is this, no one of us, myself at the top of the list, and it was proven to me this past week, no one has to say, John, look out for yourself. Oh, I'm looking out for myself already. Trust me. We all do this. Subconsciously, we do this. Man, I'm looking out for number one, right? The reality is, is James is saying, look, to truthfully, to truthfully flesh this thing out, you got to love them just like you love yourself. Now, here's the argument. This could have happened, perhaps. They could have even said, hey, you know what? We're going to fulfill that. We're doing well because we're loving the rich guy. Yeah, but what about the poor guy, though? Oh, yeah, oops. See, it all goes back to motive. we got to continue to process this and think through this because I want you to imagine for a moment. Just imagine. Let's go on a, a brief trip together. I want you to imagine what would happen here. Imagine what would happen here, just here. If we, me, you, talking about me, if we began to truly, and I'm talking truly, love each other with the same fervency that we love ourselves. So here in our church, in our family, imagine what would happen, that we with the same intentionality, that same desire, that same passion, and I'm going to love you and love you and love you and love you and love you with that same intensity. Can you imagine what would happen? Here's some things that would happen. I know they would. Can you imagine the unity? I mean, just the unity, the oneness, just a beautiful oneness. Imagine the self-accountability that we begin to develop such a hunger for the word. Remember, that's first, obey the word as we then love one another. And then we're in the word and we're seeing what the word says. I'm like, oh, man, I want to please the Lord. And I don't need you just like being my babysitter. Uh, hey, you know what? Here's the deal. I see it, and I'm going to hold myself accountable. Yeah, I'll come alongside, but I'm going to raise the bar in my own life. I'm not going to slack off any longer, but I'm going to raise the bar, and I'm going to be in. I'm going to be all in for Jesus. Accountability. Imagine that as we have the, the oneness, the unity, the accountability. Imagine it's the camaraderie. Imagine the fun, right? Hey, this should be fun. Man, we're a family. We're living for the Lord. There should be a, a unique oneness that says, oh man, this is just exciting. 
There's something that happens when, when, when people begin to work together. I mean, just work and row in the same direction. Man, we're rowing in the same direction. One mission, glory of God, be disciples of Jesus, make disciples of Jesus. Man, we're rowing in the same direction. I mean, there's something that happens in that. One of the things I've pictured over the years is what might happen if people say, uh, hey, what, what is love that is love extending? What does that look like? What does love extending love look like? Well, here's what it is. It's not the self-absorbed life. The two are counterculture. The two are polar opposites. Self-extending love, a life that's lived that says, look, I'm going to live with such an intensity to love people, treat them as Christ has treated me with the same forgiveness, with the same grace, with the same mercy. You can't live a self-absorbed life and live that one as well. The two contradict one another. And I made a note here. I said this. It's hard to see others when we're busy looking at ourselves. Have you ever noticed that? When I'm so busy looking at John, but it's hard to see you in your pain. When I'm looking at me and thinking about me and, and me, and then here we go again, the me monster, right? The me planet, the me universe. Here I am, just hunkered down, just revolving around me, me, me. I don't see you. And the enemy knows this. That's why the Bible talks so much about the selfless life. And the Bible's clear. When we live the self-absorbed life, we won't be looking to others. We won't be loving them like we should. I asked myself a question. I said, who typically are the hardest people to love? In your life, who are the hardest people to love? Just think about this for a moment. And the answer I quickly came to in my own life are those that have hurt me. For those that have hurt me, men are the hardest to love. And the people that are cheering for me, that's easy to love those people, right? But the people that have hurt me, well, they're hard to love. Now imagine Jesus, that here he is, he's going towards the cross and, and he's despised and rejected. He's going to the post and he's scourged and he's whipped and he's beaten. He's marred beyond recognition. The blood is spilled out all over. He's being insulted, crown of thorns, spit upon, criticized, ridiculed. Goes to the cross and, and gets executed and gets high and lifted up as a, a laughing stock, a mockery, just total humiliation. And then he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Think about how hard it would have been to truly love me, love you, if that wasn't Jesus and his perfection. So we've got to be a people that love. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. I love Matthew. Write it down. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 
verses 34 through 40. And this is King Jesus talking here. And he's addressing this royal law. And here's what he says, Matthew 22, 34 through 40. He says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, I, I, I love this. So you got these two groups, legalistic, uh, just off the rails. We could talk ad nauseum about these two groups. They gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. Why? To test him. Now again, total insanity. You're going to test Jesus, King Jesus, King of the world. Let's test him. Yeah, good luck. Let me know how that works out. Look at 36. Teacher. And can you just picture these guys, how smug they were? He's like, yeah, we got him this time. Teacher. I can just see him just arrogant, pompous. Teacher. Which is the greatest commandment of the law? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second, verse 39, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So all of this is encompassed here in these two commandments. Well, you had this group, Pharisees, Sadducees, they believed different stuff. Some were in one camp, some were in another. We could again talk, that's a whole other message and all the differences between these two groups. Bottom line is this, they were Jesus haters. They were Jesus haters. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He was a threat to them. He was a threat to them. He's walking in truth and holiness. They're walking in darkness, deception. He's a threat to them. Jesus just lays it out there. Says, look, here's what you do. And imagine this, and, and I want us to do this this week. I want us to think through what would happen this week if you and I, if all we did this week is, number one, we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If that's what we do, we just focus on loving Him, loving Him, loving Him, and then also we love our neighbors as ourselves. Imagine what's going to happen just this week. Like that's our homework assignment for this week. Go out this week, starting today, once you leave the church house, just begin, be very intentional, say, God, I'm going to love you with everything I got, and I'm going to serve and love people like you have loved me with this love that's indescribable. I'm going to love them like that. Imagine what's going to happen next week when we come back. We should have testimony after testimony on what God did. It will revolutionize your life, your home, your church, your business, your ball team. It will bring revival. I promise you it will. It's so counterculture. I mean, how often, truthfully, do we love the Lord with everything? Truthfully. How often do we truthfully love our neighbors as we love ourselves? Truthfully. If we begin to prayerfully walk in those two commandments there, God's going to do a work that only He can do. I love Romans 13.10. Write this down as well. Romans 13.10. Here's what it says as Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling, there it is again, of the law. So James says, look, if you're going to fulfill this royal law, if you're going to be under submission to the king, Jesus, under submission to the word of God, if you're really going to do this as you love with a love that has no strings attached, I'm going to love you in spite of. The rich man comes in here today, we're going to love him. The poor man comes in here today, we're going to love him. 
A prostitute walks in here today. We're going to love her. We're going to show the love of Christ. A person of a different color or ethnicity walks in here. We're going to love them. We're going to love them. But don't allow any foothold. Don't allow it. If there's any crevice, if there's a, a hint that, hey, we'll kind of leave this door open, don't leave the door open as far as sin goes I'm talking about. Keep it closed. Put a padlock on it. Rip the door handle off. Literally, have, have no hint of any of this in our lives because it will destroy. And once the poison gets in, once it gets in, it can take years to get it out. Years. Now, we'll start today and make sure that our lives, our homes, our church, our business, our ball teams have no hint of this in there. I mean, think about how different, just for a moment, how different would it be in your life, as I've processed this past week in my own life, how different would it be to put self on the shelf? I mean, just put self, take you, take me. Self, you're over here on the shelf. God, your glory, other people, self's back here. Just imagine what that's going to do. You know, one of the things I was thinking through this past week, and it's, it's one of the things that, that I kind of dream about, if you will. They have those dreams, the envision. I got lots of visions for our church, what I want to see happen, that I pray that God will bring to pass for His glory, for His fame, to bring many to the cross, that many might run to the cross of Jesus Christ. But one of the things is, as people are out in the community, that they ask, and they ask you. They say, hey, where do you go to church? You say, I go to Enon Baptist Church. They go, whoa, whoa. You go where? I go to Enon Baptist Church. Whoa. You go where? I go to Enon Baptist Church. Whoa. Isn't that the church where, man, you just love God more than anything? Yeah, that's us. Isn't that the church where, man, you just serve people and, and deny yourself? That's us. Isn't that the church where you're prayer warriors? And man, when you guys pray, man, when you guys pray, mountains get moved, that's us. Those are the things I think about. Envision, hunger for, thirst for, desire that God would move. See, when we do those things, the revival is coming. We talk about it. We print it. But are we living it is the question. Well, I know this. I learned this past week that there's some things going on around here that you probably don't know about in a good way. And we got a guy who for 12 years is faithfully, faithfully with no fanfare gone to the nursing homes and ministered. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Another brother this past week was at a store going through a checkout line and paused and said to the cashier, hey, how can I pray for you? It's pretty cool, isn't it? Another lady, unsuspecting, didn't realize someone from our church was watching, was out pushing a disabled child in a wheelchair through their neighborhood and ministering and serving. That's pretty cool, isn't it? See, these are the things that we, that we do. Not so people go, hey, look at me, look at me. That's not the point. That's actually going to take anything out of it. No, we do it not wanting anything because we know that our treasure's in heaven. We know the Lord sees it. It's giving glory to Him. We just want to serve and make a difference. And we begin to, to mobilize. And that's another vision I have, that we take all of us here in this service and also at the first service, and we mobilize all over Chester. And we literally take over Chester. Every store, we're praying with cashiers. 
Uh, we're out ministering in nursing homes. We're going to hospitals, fire stations. I mean, just name whatever you want. We're just out there ministering and serving. Can you imagine what's going to happen to Chester, Virginia? I believe God's going to bring the revival. And James is saying, look, if, if you got this partiality and you're not fulfilling this love for one another under this royal law that you submit to under King Jesus, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. It's all worthless. Go to church all day long, get baptized every day, tithe all you want. If all we do is we come in here and we're weekend warriors for Jesus on Sunday, and then Monday through Saturday we're living this double life, it's all worthless. It doesn't mean anything. That's why the true believer will truly be one who obeys and loves and serves others. How about verse 9? Let's take a look at that for a moment. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin. Wow, okay. Kind of in our face there, but so true. And are convicted by the law as transgressors. So you, you really could translate this, that word but, you could say since. You know, since you are showing partiality, and that's the whole point here. Again, he's addressing something that had crept in. And we always got to address what creeps in into our lives, into our homes, into our church, our business, our ball team. We got to address these things. If you sweep it under the rug, here's what I've learned over the years. Uh, that rug gets a big lump in it and we all start tripping over it, don't we? Now you got to address it and say, look, there's an issue. Do it lovingly, do it gracefully, do it mercifully. But you can't ignore it. It just doesn't go away. You got to deal with issues. I have to deal with issues. Just like this past week, I have to begin dealing with my issues that I'm having. It's okay to not be okay. That's the whole point of Jesus, right? We're not okay. If we think we're okay, why do we need Jesus? Well, we're not okay. That's why we need him. But you, if you show partiality, favoritism, discrimination, you are committing sin. So think about this. So you're committing, you're carrying out, you're doing you're sinning. What's sin? So sin's real simple. Just a real simple definition. It means this, to miss God's mark. So God has a standard. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. Uh, he's not in this so that, again, we can just kind of show up and, hey, we're here. This is great. Go, Jesus. Go home and live our own lives. No, he's saved us for a reason, and it's just not for eternal life. Now, I know for some people, they go, whoa, where are you going? Well, it is for eternal life, praise Jesus, amen, but we're still here. If it was just for eternal life, why wouldn't he save us, rescue us, and poof, we're out of here, right? No, we're here for a reason, not to hold down the grass, uh, not to get what I want. I'm here, you're here for a reason, and that is to be his hands and feet, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because here's the deal. God set this up so that he would save people, humans like me and you, frail, flawed, flawed. So many of them right here. I'm a flawed person. But he saves us. He rescues us for such a time as this to redeem the time that people, when they look at me and look at you, don't look at me and look at you and go, man, you're amazing. No, they look at me and you and go, wow, Jesus, he's amazing. That's the whole point that people would not even see us. They would just go, what's going on with you? Like you're not perfect, but something's different about you. And that is the point, that they would look at us and say, what is it? 
Because everyone's hurting. There's not one person that's walking today that does not truthfully have some element of pain. Not one person. There's a lot of people that are lying, say they don't. All of us, everyone in this room has some element of pain. Every one of us do. So here's the deal. That's level ground. So we have the solution. His name is Jesus. We'll never change. King Jesus, that's the answer. None other. So now as we're saved, our job is as we're going, as we're going, great commission, not great suggestion. As we're going, we just live a life that people look at and go, wow, don't know what you got, but I know I want what you got. And we begin now to go and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Say, James is drilling down hard here saying, look, if you're committing this favoritism, this discrimination, this partiality, he says, let me be clear, you're living in sin. Like there's no way around this. You're living in sin. And so we have to repent from that because if we're not careful, it says here, we are convicted by the law as transgressors. Literally this, convicted would be, you could describe it like this. You could say that we're being brought to light. We're exposed. How about that? Better word. We're exposed. So when I am living in sin, whatever it might be, let's say it's joylessness, like as one that I'm struggling with right now. When I'm living in that, I am being exposed. It's brought to light for what it really is. You can only, here's the deal, you can only hide sin for so long. Amen? Because at some point, it's going to rear its ugly head. At some point, it's going to bubble to the surface. And so here James is saying, look, in his favoritism, rich, poor, inside the church, by the way, don't forget this. This is like not at the ball game. This is not down at Walmart. No, this is going on like inside the church, the synagogue there where they gathered those house churches that they had so many of this is happening there. If it's going on there, boy, this is bad stuff. This is the one place it should not be going on. The church has to lead in all areas. We have to be the leaders saying, look, we're going to lead in our culture. We're going to be the ones that are the greatest forgivers. We're going to be the ones that are most joyful. We're going to be the ones that say, hey, we're not going to be bitter towards others. We, as the bride of Christ, should be the leaders in all of these areas. And here James is saying, look, you're not leading here. You really messed this thing up. It's blowing your witness is what he's saying. Because people are watching. They're watching us, watching me, watching you. That's why key number two is so important. Write it down. Key number two. Showing partiality against someone because of their economic status is sin. Key number two. Showing partiality against someone because of their economic status is sin. You say, preacher, why did you talk about just economic status? Well, we're staying with the context here. Can we elaborate on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Any discrimination is not of the Lord. We should not discriminate for race. Again, economic, intelligence, how someone looks as far as their physical appearance. We should never allow that into our lives. But here, he's just talking about this economic status. So I want to keep with the context here. 
That's why in 1 Timothy, write this down, 1 Timothy 5.21, listen to what Paul tells young Timothy as he's raising him up to be a warrior for the gospel. 1 Timothy 5.21, he says this, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you. So he's commanding his protege to keep, there it is, guard, attend to carefully, these rules without prejudging, here we go, doing nothing from partiality. So he's bringing up this young disciple, this young pastor, and he's saying, look, I mean, have this as one of the hallmarks of your walk. This should be one of the tenets of your walk as you're holding the faith dearly under the Lord of glory, the Shekinah glory. Just don't have any hint of this partiality. Now, how about Jude 1.16? Write that one down as well. You remember that from a while back. We studied the book of Jude. Jude 1.16. Here's what he talks about these apostates. He reveals who they really are habitually. He says these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters. Here we go. Showing favoritism. Why? to gain advantage. Do you see that? It's motive. Hey, what's in it for me? Here comes the rich dude. Hey, poor guy, get out of here. Get out of my face for a moment. Rich guy, come up here. You're right here, front and center. I'm not going to tell you why I'm putting you here, but uh, man, we're having lunch this week. I need a business deal to close real quick. You come here, shh, be quiet, poor person. Get over here. Rich man, you're right here, like right here. And the motive of my heart. And isn't that frightening, church? Have you thought about this, how frightening the motives of our heart could be and are. The word says this, that the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? And have you ever talked to someone who they raised the hand, said the prayer, did the cartwheel, signed the card, hocus pocus, no life change. And as there was that no life change in their life, years later, they've abandoned the faith. They've walked away. We're seeing this right now in Christendom like never before. And we're seeing it. I'm seeing it in churchdom. I'm seeing it in, in the music industry of Christianity. I'm seeing it in the writing industry of Christianity where people are coming out going, yeah, this was, uh, I thought it was real, but you know what? I'm now an atheist. And I'm telling you, the wheels are coming off the bus. Why? Well, we're in the last days. We're in the last days. No one knows the time, not even the sun, but I can assure you, we know the times and the seasons according to Scripture, and we got a window in front of us, church. We got a window. We got a window, and it's starting to close. It's closing. We're in perilous days, perilous times. Men are lovers of themselves, boasters, the whole deal. We're seeing it, and people are coming out going, no, Jesus, who I professed, nope. I want nothing to do with them. James says, look, be careful about this partiality. Be careful. Don't do it to gain advantage. So how about the last two verses here? Last two verses. Here they are in conclusion. He's going to give this startling illustration, James does. Verses 10 and 11. He says, for or because whoever keeps the whole law attends to carefully again, but fails but stumbles, errs, sins in one point, has become guilty of all of it. Wow. How about verse 11? For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, 
you have become a transgressor of the law. So here James is, pulling back again from, from the Old Testament there and relating to that Jewish culture. And he's using adultery and he's using murder. And when you look at the laws, boy, those are two big ones on the list. And of course, you got murder. And you can murder, by the way, just not physically, but, but we murder with our hearts, don't we? I can murder with my heart if I'm not careful. Adultery, I don't have to commit the physical act, but, but we can commit the emotional act, right? I mean, these are two weighty, weighty sins that have extreme consequences. You say, other sin doesn't have a consequence? Well, of course it does. All sin is sin in the eyes of God. Matter of fact, you see that right here. But we want to make sure that there are some sins in this earthly life that we commit that are going to have deeper, far-reaching consequences. But in God's eyes, sin is sin. You say, how do you know? Well, well, look right there in your Bible. It says this, according to my Bible, for here's the deal, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in just one point has become guilty of all of it. You know that word guilty is interesting. It means it's liable. So I'm going to be held liable. That, that's the whole point of the gospel. See, the gospel is this. The gospel says, I can't fix myself. That's what the gospel says. Every time you look at a cross, look at a cross and go, I can't fix myself. There's that cross. I'm beyond self-repair. Can't do it. Don't try it. That's the whole point of the gospel. Because here's the deal. You could live to be 99, 100. Let's go for a 100 round number. Let's say on the last day of your life, you have not sinned, but then you do sin on that last day. Here is how this works. You are now guilty of the whole law. Guilty. Just one. All it takes is one. And yet, isn't this beautiful? One transgression led to this incredible fall. Don't miss this, but as Romans says, one act of righteousness. So, so one transgression led to the fall, but one act of righteousness has now set us free as we place our faith and trust in Him. That's a hallelujah moment, isn't it? See, Jesus is the bridge. There's you and there's God. There's me and God. And as I've already told you, I'm, I'm messed up. I'm jacked up. And here's God in His glory. And how do I get to you? How do I get to you, God? I, I can't get there on my own. I'm beyond self-repair. How do I get there? Jesus. 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 James says, look, here's the deal. If you're going to live in this, you're sinning. You're deceived. And that's what all sin is, by the way. When I am joyless, I'm sinning and I'm deceived. When you are bitter, when perhaps you're prideful, when you gossip, just fill in the blank, we are sinning and we're deceived. And James says, just know this clearly so that prayerfully we will repent, we'll turn from it, and begin a new chapter walking forward. you got to remember that, that the Jews, he's talking to the Jews, and so when he says, look, you got adultery and you got murder, even though, again, we can murder and have adultery, just not on the physical level, in that culture, they would, just like we do, have the silos of sin. And we do that, don't we? We rationalize, we justify and that's the challenge with confronting sin. 
is we need to do it, but we got to be on our guard. Because if we're not on our guard and we're confronting the sin, what happens is typically we now get insulated and isolated and deceived from our own sin as I've experienced. No, God says, look, you got to make sure you're on your guard. God's law is not a spiritual Walmart. God's law, His Word, is not a spiritual Walmart that we can just pick and choose. Hey, I like this one, don't like that one. Yeah, that's a red light special, or that one, yeah, that one's on sale, but I don't want that one. That's just not how this works. He's demanding from me, you, total obedience, total. There's no wiggle room around this. He demands it's from me and you. That's why key number three, write it down. Here it is, key number three, last key. So in guarding against self-righteousness, we must preach to ourselves that just one sin will declare us entirely guilty. Let me say that again. Key number three, in guarding against self-righteousness, we must preach to ourselves that just one sin will declare us entirely guilty. You know, when I wrote that down this week, I made this note. I said, this should help our self-righteous and pride meter, shouldn't it? I mean, think about this. In guarding against self-righteousness, I, you, we, must preach to ourselves that just one sin will declare us entirely guilty. Any pride in my life after reading that, any pride in your life should be exterminated, right? I mean, one sin, completely guilty. One makes all. Pride, ego, arrogance, self-righteousness, all that's out the window. Now we're hitting the deck, again, under the royal law. Remember, we don't saunter in. Hey, Jesus, good to see you, buddy. How you doing? Yeah, you're great. No, man, we worship him. We fall down at King Jesus. He say, you're it, we're not. I mean, holy you are. We worship you today. We glorify your name in all the earth. That's the wonder and holy all splendor of our King. Write down Romans 6. Write this down, Romans 6. Romans 6, 21 through 23. Write this down. Under this key number three, Paul writes here to the church in Rome, and you guys know this, you're good Baptists, so I'll read it anyway, but Romans 6, 21 through 23. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Very key. All of the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Don't miss that. How, why? Here it is. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who do what? Believe. Now again, pause there for a moment before we get to the last verse that you guys have memorized already. But this belief, hear me clearly through the word of God, is not passive. This is not intellectual belief. Now, we've dumbed it down all across our country into this. What do we say? Hey, just believe, right? Hey, believe and just walk an aisle and raise your hand and get baptized. And man, you're in the club. That's not how this works. This is all about life change. Jesus did not get brutally executed on a cruel Roman cross so that me, you could live in our sin. That's not why he did this. This wasn't a free pass. Hey, uh, you know what? I'll get brutally executed, and you just keep going around the monopoly board of life collecting 200, John. That's not how he did this and why he did this. He did this so he would set us free. Yes, eternal life. Amen, amen, amen. 
but it's also to set us free. We're no longer slaves of sin, we're slaves to Him. Uh, We no longer desire sin, we desire holiness and pursuing obedience. That's the true life that's been changed. Isn't a country club, this isn't some fairy tale that we're living in here. This is reality that when Christ rescues and saves, it's about a belief in action. And that's why he then goes on and says, Paul does in 23 of 6, chapter 6, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every one of us is guilty. We're guilty of one thing, which means we're guilty of everything. And in my case, I'm guilty of a whole bunch more than one. But praise be to Jesus, amen? Praise be to God. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't you love that verse? While we were still sinners, Christ died for you and me. That's good news. That's awesome news today. While we were sinners, like while in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the muck and the mire of your life and my life, Jesus Christ died for us. And there's nothing greater, nothing greater in this life. That's why I want to give you your takeaway question. Takeaway question, here it is. Do I truthfully love others as Christ loves me? And as I love myself, ask yourself that right now. Do I truthfully love others as Christ loves me and as I love myself? You know, we love the account in Scripture where Jesus leaves the 99 to go get the one, don't we? Don't we love that? Especially when we're the one. Like when he leaves the 99 and he comes and rescues us, man, we are shouting, we are praising Jesus, right? Question for you and me today, what happens though when he leaves the 99 and goes and rescues the one that's wounded you? What does that do for you? Is there the same excitement? Oh man, they hurt me so deeply, but I am so glad, I am so glad they've come to know Jesus. See, this is what loving your neighbor means. Loving your neighbor is not loving the people that cheer for us and applaud us and sign autographs and write books for us and about us and take our pictures. No, those are the easy people to love. But loving the people that are hard to love. Do I truthfully, do you, love others as Christ loves me, you, with an agape love that says, look, I love you, John. I love you, you. Put your name in the blank. Not because of what you do for me, Jesus says. I love you because I love you. That's why the action step, here it is. Write it down, action step. I will seek today to live in humility, not easy to do, but necessary, and extend love, not partiality. So here's our action step. As we prepare to leave and go from the locker room to the game field of life where the game is being played outside. And we're going to have some action steps here, some goals. And I will seek today to live in humility and extend love. That takes intentional effort, especially to those who have hurt us, who have wounded us, and not show any partiality. You know, I made a thought And I said this, I said, we only truly embrace as much of the Bible as we obey. I mean, think about that for a moment. 
we only truly, truly embrace as much of the Bible as we obey. And I pray as we think through that, that we will begin to be a church, a people, your family, your individual life, my individual life, my family, that would be on mission for the mission. God's glory, be disciples, make disciples, that we would obey God and embrace all of his word and obey all of his word. That's why J.I. Packer, who just passed away yesterday, great theologian, he said it like this. He said, all true theology has an evangelistic thrust and all true evangelism is theology in action. Did you catch that? All true theology has an evangelistic thrust and all true evangelism is theology in action. So where are you and I today in this? As the Holy Word is speaking right now, as the Holy Spirit is speaking right now, do we show partiality, if we're honest? I pray today if we do, I pray today we will get this straightened out. I pray we'll walk forward in freedom and holiness and joy and peace that only Christ can give, all for His glory. Amen. Father, we come before You. and God, as we lift up our hearts and our minds and our souls, God, I just pray that You would speak in a mighty way. God, in this time where we reflect on Your Word, Holy Spirit, would you drive it deep into our souls? Will you show us right now where we are committing sin? And then give us the courage to humble ourselves, to admit we've been deceived, and then to walk forward in freedom. Leave it behind at the foot of the cross. Walk forward in freedom. Walk forward not in despair. Walk forward looking to that the greatest days are yet to come. And so God, I just pray that you would you'd move right now in this time. That we'd give you all the praise and give you all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.